Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode, another exciting episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. Kathy and I are really pumped today because we have a wonderful guest who is going to answer a whole bunch of questions that Kathy and I get asked literally all the time. So it is with lots of excitement that Woo! I want to introduce Maya Varga. Maya currently works as a senior director for Hayaton and Associates, which is a boutique educational company based in Los Angeles. But let me tell you about how dope Maya is. So she started her career. I didn't even know this was a thing, but then it made sense as a tutor in the entertainment industry. So she was a studio tutor, which I think is very cool. I want to hear stories. And then she ran a private practice, so working extensively as a tutor with middle school and high school students of varied learning profiles until joining Hayaton in 2014. So she has super extensive experience in college counseling, homeschool instruction, and executive function skill building. And as I mentioned earlier, she's currently a senior director at Hayaton. Maya, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to join both you and Kathy today. Thank I've heard you. so much Thank about you, you, Maya. I feel like I know you because Meredith keeps seeing your praises. She's been saying for the past year, we need to get Maya on this. We need oh, to so get Maya on this. Get Maya on this podcast. <laughs> and then we it's ha- it's happening right now. It's exciting. Well, Meredith and I go back to her LA days. Way so. back in the day when I Yeah. yeah. Way way <laughs> back. Sure way ba- way <laughs> back when. Let's not age ourselves here. <laughs> no, no, no. We are youthful sprites, the three of us. Okay. So Maya, one of the reasons we're really excited to have you on is because you have a really broad, extensive experience in, I don't know if this is the right terminology, but sort of non-traditional school pathways, you know, independent study programs, sort of what tutoring support looks like for students, homeschooling programs. And we'd really just love to learn more about all of that. But I think I'd love to start with sort of tutoring. And one of the questions that comes up for us all of the time is, you know, we're working with a student, we see that they're kind of struggling in an academic class, and the parents are frustrated, they don't quite know, you know, they've tried different things, they don't quite know what's going on. And one of the central questions that I think we're trying to answer is, is this kid really struggling and can do it on their own, and they just need to find a different gear to shift into? Or do they really need the support of someone else? So when you're working with families who are wrestling with that question, how do you help guide families in determining whether or not their child could benefit from a tutor? Great question, right? So we're kind of looking at like, what what do we need? When do we need a tutor and how do we assess? Is it an academic need or do we, what we like to call here, our buzzword is executive functioning. It's one of our favorite terms here at Hayatem. 
So one of the first kind of inventories of skills that I like to look at, you know, I like to either take the deep dive with students in our intakes on their school portals, you know, the canvases, the Google classrooms, the Schoology's, and look at metrics like late and missing works. How many do we have? Is that kind of a trend for a student? That's a big indicator, you know, right there. Grades are always going to follow good skills and routines. So if we've got late and missings right there, that would be a huge piece that we can work on with a student. And that's not going to be, you know, something that a parent wants to work on with their kid. They don't want to be the one asking about, did you, did you, did you get that done? (laughs) And that's not healthy for that relationship. The next thing that I look at is how much time is a student working on their homework every single night? Is it five hours for a middle school student? Is it three hours for an elementary school student, right? These are, those are going to be beyond the expectation and outside the norm that their teachers are expecting them to work on it. So, you know, if they're working way over the expect, expected amount of time, I kind of think about, well, why are we spending that amount of time? Are we off task all the time? Are we on devices? Are we struggling with processing? Are we trying to reteach ourselves something that we didn't get during the day? Another piece of information. How much time is homework a fight or a battle between parent and child every single night? Are they coming out of their room or their, the dining room table and just, you know, having that kind of tantrum? Or are they saying, my, that my teacher doesn't make sense? That kind of key phrase of, I don't know what's going on or I don't know what I'm supposed to do. How many weekly emails is that parent getting sent home? So those are kind of those key Uh, indicators of, you know, hey, we might need to bring in an outside person here that isn't mom, dad, or, you know, hey, go meet with your teacher. Those are, I'm I'm taking notes copiously, by the way. (laughs) Martha and I like, I know, write this down. This is great. One, two, three, four, five, (laughs) blog post. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. And I'm, I'm wondering when you say good skills and routines, what are you looking for? When like what what does that mean? A kid yeah. has good skills and routines. Absolutely, routine is king. Is one of my favorite things to say. Right? I I'm not a big proponent about any specific. You know, a kid has to do something a certain way. I'm not going to come in and tell you that one app is magic, right? Because what works for for yep. me and what works for Kathy and what works for Meredith, it could be three different ways of how you do your to do list or three different ways about how you approach writing an essay. It has to be that whatever you do every single time works for you and is a formula that is going to be throughout your academic career. You're going to say, okay, every time I sit down to write that thesis statement, I know my Kathy's way of getting the paragraph done. So if we can build that toolbox for each student, I know that when I read a paragraph or whatever, you know, for history, I have, you know, a great way of accessing that, that important information to retain because I might be a really great visual learner, but I know that I'm really not great with auditory information. So the videos that my teacher assigned, I might need to have like a closed captioning that goes along with it, whatever those tricks and tips might be for that student. So we have to create those kind of that that skill toolbox for them that go along with it. And that's kind of what that executive functioning piece that goes along with just the tutoring piece, I think the academic is really important for students actually is how they're going to access information is goes along with just the 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 actual information as well because if you can teach them how to fish, uh, it's a lifelong how to learn long mm-hmm. you know middle school high school and then college as well. Mm-hmm. They're life skills to me, so I really like working on that. No matter what we're teaching, if you're you know our executive functioning coaches don't need to be able to teach Chinese to be able to be a good executive function coach for Chinese. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I mean, because I think it's teaching capacity rather than sort of content, right? It's sort of building innate 
capacity, which is just so important to adolescent development. I'm wondering, okay, so if we've reached a point, you know, as a family or a child sort of understands that they've reached a point where outside support would be really helpful for them. I don't know. I I wonder if you would describe it the way I describe going to therapy. To me, when everyone's, when anyone comes and says, well, heck, how do I choose a therapist? I always say, well, therapists are kind of like shoes, you know, some are just going to fit better than others. Yeah. And I mean, Lord knows I've tried on a lot of shoes in my time, literal and metaphorical. So I'm wondering sort of as you're, you know, the tutoring industry is a big packed industry. How would a family approach searching for a tutor? And this comes from, you know, somebody, you know, in my shoes, <laughs> no pun intended, who works for a company. And, you know, I think there's first first things that I always am very transparent with families about is that every family has their own unique budget. So really, I think that's really important to keep in mind as a family is what what are you comfortable spending on your, you know, academic support for your family and what, you know, what is within reach? So your budget is going to kind of indicate some companies versus private are going to be different, like, you know, private individuals are going to be different budget range. So I think that's the first thing to look at. Second would be qualifications of the individual. So are you going to a job board on a college website for somebody who's an undergrad or maybe a master's who is got an undergrad degree, but maybe in a master's program. If you're working with a company, what are the qualifications of that person that you're working with? What previous tutoring experience do they actually have? Are they just camp counselors who've worked with children? Or do they actually have instructional experience working you know, in specific subject areas, executive functioning work? What kind of training do they have? Another thing that, you know, we do here at Hayaton, but is their background check. So we do live scans, which is the highest level of federal and state background check. That would be something since you're working with children to consider. Obviously for us, personality match is one of the really big important things, right? These are people we see as kind of mentors in the, in the student's relationship with them. So I always tell students when we get to meet with them is, you know, this isn't the teacher that they're assigned at school. So sometimes, you know, kids kind of come home and they say, oh, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, I got them this year. You know, if they get to work with somebody through our company, we want them to say, okay, I really, it might not be that uh, they're the most excited to work on AP physics magnetism, right? Or whatever subject it may be. But we wanted to sit, you know, to feel that they're getting some an engaging relationship and that they feel that they're breathing life into that subject in a way that they might not get, you know, somewhere else that they're feeling that they're missing. Mm-hmm. So I think personality, of, they might not be the, the coolest person sometimes if it's a subject that's kind of off, off the beaten path or whatever. But, you know, if they can connect with that student in a way that's meaningful is really great. So, yeah, I think qualifications of the person, personality and budget are the three biggest things to look at first and foremost. The next, I think, thing for families to look at is um, what are they committing to when they sign up for tutoring? For a company like ours, you're not prepaying for package deals. I know some families like the idea of, you know, hey, I'm getting a deal because it's a discount. But then what if you're stuck with somebody you're not, you know, is not working, you know, and we can talk about how to assess is when something is working or not working. Or what about if your student doesn't continue to need tutoring or, you know, obviously things change. So having to commit to a certain number of sessions might not necessarily be in the family's interest. So being able to be nimble and not buy into a certain number of things, because you might not know how many sessions you need off the, off the top, that, that's a really good thing to have flexibility. You brought up a really good point, which I think 
Meredith and I get this question all the time from the families that we're working with and kids who have tutors. How do you know tutoring is working? And at what point is it enough? It's like, okay, I'm good. Because I know I have a lot of kids who are like meeting with tutors to just do their homework. It's like they have a homework nanny. Yep. (laughs) And I'm like, I said that. Oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so good. So I always tell kids when we start working with them, our jobs are at least from our point of view, is to work ourselves out of this job. Yeah. We're not there to go to college with them. We're not there to get through whatever, you know, like we've already, we've already done eighth grade. We've already done, you know, 10th (laughs) grade algebra two, whatever it is that we're there for. So ultimately we, you know, we want them to build that independent skill so that they are getting through this independently. Now, sometimes the gig is, you know, hey, like they might be taking a super hard um, AP comp sci class, you know, and they need, you know, extra support, you know, for something that they might have five billion things that they're juggling outside of school and they need a little extra, you know, support outside of school. Totally fair that we need a little extra help there and we can we can offer that. But I really want them to learn what resources do they have available to them and access those first and not not necessarily have to be a tutor right? Who's that first line of defense at school? Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's the videos that were posted to their school portal. Maybe it's a study group that they could set up. So we want to teach those things to them early so that they can do those independently when they don't have a tutor necessarily in place. Skills. Yeah. skills. Yes. And like you said, Kathy, about like, how do we assess when we can work ourselves out of that job? I always like to use the metric of Give it a quarter, like the metric of a school, whether it's a trimester, the quarter, the semester, give it that grading mark to say, you know, and we, we're very good about giving families tangible goals that we're trying to work towards. So, you know, hey, like we're working on, you know, decreasing our lates and missing. We're working on self-advocacy where the student sets up a certain number of appointments to, with a teacher, whatever those types of things are, right? And this is what I was saying with grades will always follow good routines and habits. So if we're doing those things, we should see improvement with grades, right? So, you know, if we if we look at those types of things, well, hey, you know, I've noticed, you know, let's say Billy went and met with his teacher six out of, you know, 10 weeks of this of this quarter. Great. I think that's that's great improvement. We saw his grade go up from a B minus to a A minus. Like, hey, let's let him fly solo for a little bit and see how he does. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. And I think that, you know, when parents are looking for tutors, they should actually ask that question. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of because I think there are some people who would just happily take the money and just kind of sit there and watch kids do homework. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's that's just it's not wrong. It's wrong because it's kids are not becoming independent learners. And ultimately, that's what they're going to need to be. Meredith, and I say this ad nauseum when they go to college. Right. They can't rely on somebody. How do you know? Like, here's here's something that I hear from parents all the time. How do you know if like. I think parents hire tutors because they're like, for the kid who isn't turning in work, they rely on the tutor so that homework gets done. Great mm-hmm. question. Yeah. So I love the idea of starting everything and finishing nothing. And Say more. <laughs> yeah. It's the idea of the idea of creating lots of momentum in session, right? So you tee everything up in a session, right? Let's Let's tee it up on that beautiful golden platter with the silver spoon. And you create momentum. Hey, you've got 10 math problems. Just do the first five. I know how to do it. 
hey, we read the first five pages of your history text for tonight. We did your thesis paragraph and you got to, you know, do your bot first body paragraph, whatever. And there is a beautiful plan to execute. Execution is, the, I think, one of the hardest things for kids to do. Yeah. But if we create momentum towards what it looks like to get to done, you mm-hmm. know, I always say that our kids have a really hard time envisioning what done looks like. So if we can help them to figure out what those steps are and to have a plan to do that, creating the momentum towards that so that they're ready to do that on their own is that first step. It Mm. doesn't happen overnight. This is where we go back to what is that timeline, right? Parents come in and sometimes they're like, oh, well, you met with them once. Why is it not? Why is it not happening? Yeah. Well, it can't happen overnight. It's, this is takes time. Right? This is like teaching your kids how to brush their teeth. You do it once. Do they do it on their own the next day? No. Right. Same thing with those, you know, personal hygiene tasks. It's not going to happen overnight once you just teach them how to brush their teeth the first time. So we have to we have to make it part of their everyday routine. And and so, you know, and sometimes what you try the first time might not work the first time. So it might. I have a kid who loves Post-its. Personally, I hate Post-its. I think <laughs> I I think they're a terrible system. I think it's like, to me, it's personal clutter, but I have some kids who love them, but they end the way that it's okay. Great. (laughs) Oh, I'm on the, I'm with you, Maya. I hate post-its and I feel like my students just lose them. They give me, they give me personal anxiety, honestly, but some (laughs) people, you know, and, and the kids who use them and they do them well, it works for them. So if it, again, goes back to, if it works for you, great. And, you know, it has to be the system that works for you. You know, when let's just assume a, a family, a student is sort of a mid tutoring process. And, you know, what I'm hearing you say is, first of all, it's a process. It's a process of experimentation to discover what does and does not work for the student. To some degree, the student is going to have to be a little uncomfortable in those moments where they're applying skills or they're finishing the thing that got started. And that liminal space, historically, I would say, can feel uncomfortable for parents. So when a student is in this process, if you could wave your magic wand, what is the kind of behavior or support that you would wish for parents that would help their child be successful? Great question. I think this is this is one of the things that we talk a lot about is the art of letting go a little bit and and giving kids the space to either make those mistakes safely, right? And have a little bit of fall down, go boom time in a place, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and in a way that, you know, knowing that, hey, the website's being watched, the communication with the teacher is there, that there is somebody still watching. And so I think that that is a a nice wish, right? Hey, like we're still, we still have our eye on things, but you know, if we tee things up and Sally or Bobby decides not to do those things, that's their, that's Sally or Bobby's choice that they have still choice in this and, you know, developmentally that's okay. And we're still going to get there. It just might not be on the, you know, on the same timeline. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I, you know, we, we talk, we bring families in to talk to the kids too is, Hey, is Sally or Bobby ready for this? Is this the right time? And going back to your point about, are we in therapy working on, you know, is there a social emotional part? Is there a need for some other part, you know, of a team member to be involved here to be, you know, is it, is it just an academic need? That's, that's, that's at that point, we look at those things. That's so important. I love that you bring that up because tutoring is not a silver bullet, right? Like a lot of families think like, okay, this is how we're going to fix this problem. We're going to hire a cadre of tutors and 
that's how you're going to get through school. And oftentimes, kids need a network of support and a lot of different things are going on that could be getting in the way of their success and trying to figure that out takes time. And what I hear, and it's, it's, and I get it. And because Meredith and I work so much in the college counseling space mm-hmm. when we're coaching kids, for so many families, just, and, and for you too, I'm sure Maya, you, you have a lot of kids who are, you know, extremely high achieving, you know, college bound with mm-hmm. high expectations coming for, for themselves and from their families that it's too high stakes, right? Like I hear that a lot. It's too high stakes. Like I we can't, can't, can't let go. Can't let go. Can't let it go. Can't let there be any natural consequences because it's too high stakes. And so we're going to go against our personal values as a family and do whatever it takes to make sure that this grade at the semester when it counts is an A. What do you say? I mean, I don't know if there's a question in there, but what do you, how do you feel about that? Or what do you say to families who are pushing back in in those ways? Great question, commentary there. I think those are the families that usually aren't, and that goes back to who's right to work with. Mm. And it goes to my point of philosophy Mm -hmm. that I did kind of touch on. But philosophically, is a a person or a company right for you? And I usually, you know, that would be point two. That wouldn't be the right family for somebody for us to serve because philosophically that wouldn't be aligned with, you know, who we are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for us, we are in the best interest of what a student needs at that time. And we're very honest and transparent with with families. You know, I think but like you and Meredith both are very honest communicators and very forthright about, you know, who you can serve and how you can serve people. Um, We are the same way in our, you know, academic pathway conversations as well. And that leads to kind of what Meredith brought up at the beginning about kind of what is available to families outside of the traditional eight to three Right. And th- this happens a lot, particularly kind of on the college, you know, conversation, like what mm-hmm. happens to that senior who applied early to a school and couldn't, con- you know, finish their first semester for one reason or another. And, you know, grades are pushing that first mid-year report. And now that, you know, hey, they're not able to apply or they're not able to allow for their school to get grades for first semester because they didn't complete it. So that, that, that would be the arm of our company, you know, the independent study, the homes, you know, in homeschool, mm-hmm. we use that, that word interchangeably these days, <laughs> I think yeah. since COVID homeschool and, and independent study have, have kind of our big key buzzwords. And so, you know, the, the word credit recovery also comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Hey, I went and I, I, you know, didn't, I, I got a, this happens with college counseling in your guys's world. I got a D. And D might have been passing for graduation at my school, but it wasn't for college credit when I applied to a four-year university. Great. So that would be, you know, in, in the arms of independent studying and, or homeschool, we work with accredited programs to get students credit from another institution that they might either do concurrently during their fall or spring semester at their, at their school that they go to. They might work with us for full-time or part-time enrollment, or they might do during the summer to take classes, whether some kids work with us full-time because they're not in school for athletic pursuits, performing art, Right or they are going to a brick and mortar school and they want to take a class that wasn't offered at their school, like an AP class or whatever it may be. So that's ways to get credit on a transcript elsewhere that your, your school might not grant you. Yeah. Maya, I just, I so appreciate us sort of turning the tides in this direction, because I think for a lot of our families that we work with, they never really heard of independent study, you know, for a lot of, you know, folks of a certain generation, independent study wasn't a thing. 
And so just to kind of quickly, from a 101 standpoint, sum up what you said, sort of independent study allows, you know, a student might pursue independent study in a variety of scenarios. Brick and mortar school may not be a good fit. There may be some other kind of mental health or emotional issues that make sort of staying in a regular schedule at a regular school really difficult or not in the best interest of the student. Absolutely. But sometimes it's for other reasons, right? It's, hey, I really want to take linear algebra and my school, I've already tapped out of all of my math classes at my school. And so I want to pursue that or I want to accelerate during the summer. You know, my school doesn't offer summer school. So how might I do that? So what, you know, and it's so interesting because I, I so appreciated going a couple of comments back when you were talking about sort of holistic analysis. You know, often I have seen in my career that when a student is struggling academically, level one intervention is often to address the academic struggle by maybe seeking out tutoring. But very frequently, there are deeper seated issues happening that need to be addressed. And that might mean a student needs to step off of the regular school track. And I'm just using the word regular mm-hmm. because traditional, it's traditional, traditional, yeah, yeah traditional, not because it's better, or not better no. or whatever. When would you, you know, so for families who are sort of in that place, cause that's often a very um, stressful place for families to be in when they're wrestling with that question of, you know, do we keep our student, our child in a, in a regular day school, or do we sort of pursue some type of alternative educational path? How do you help guide families through that decision-making process? So, I mean, it depends on what the situation will be. So if it's a situation where a kid is has a physical or mental health treatment plan, the first foremost is to rely on the treatment, the student's treatment team. About academics, we can always come up with an academic solution, right, at any point in time. But the first foremost is you are nothing without your physical and mental health. So we have to prioritize that first for the student. Love that. Thank you for saying that. And so I think the biggest thing is, you know, is to help reframe that. And I think that it can be a hard thing to do, right? Because again, going back to we're holding on to traditional kind of expectations of, you know, and and it can be hard and anxiety provoking too, right? And and what's anxiety provoking versus anxiety reducing when kids can, you know, can they do one or two classes at a time? Does that feel good versus to let go of everything, right? It, it, It depends on what's best for that student. And it's a very, it's not a blanket approach. And I would throw in traditional timelines. Exactly. I think that that families get so stuck on making sure that their kids don't fall behind. Yes. And there is no race. There's no, there's no deadline. Right. And I, it's so hard for families to let go of that. Exactly. So I think, you know, in those cases, it's treatment team comes first to determine what's going to be best for that student. In the case of, you know, students who are going to kind of be these trailblazers and be off the beaten path for athletic pursuits, performing arts, uh, you know, whatever, you know, entrepreneurs who are starting, you know, businesses in high school, all (laughs) these different reasons. And, and honestly, COVID, one of the gifts of COVID, which I know is a very strange thing to say is these online school programs that are, you know, the ones that are fully vetted and, you know, accredited have really opened up the game for students in, in you know, non-brick-and-mortar school options and, and made it not feel so taboo or, you know, kind of, you know, people are like, oh, you go to an online school and you don't, you know, and I think the big thing too is from your guys' standpoint, there's a difference between the, you're not checking the homeschool box, 
on the college counseling application for kids who go to fully accredited schools, and even if it's an online school. It's, and there's ways that the teach, you know, that we can really get enriched experiences still when you're working with teachers from like people like us, taking some college classes, you know, whatever it is to get that really great experience. So I think that goes to what is our goal for the student, right? Are they a recruited athlete? Are they going to create an art portfolio for dance or for studio art? Are they on a medical leave? And the hard part for medical leave is you can't ever say, is it one month, three months, six months? And you you have, you know, so what, what are what are our goals that we're looking at? And so I always try to think about what, again, in that moment, what is going to be best for that student at that time? Yeah. My, I'm sensitive to time and we were almost yeah. out of time with you. Yeah. But I wanted to, I wanted to ask one last question and circle it back to, I see you as, I mean, you're an expert, you're an educational expert in many categories, but you are a homework expert. And this is where such a huge pain point for parents. I would love it if you would leave us with some best practices for our listeners. Like as a parent, what are some best practices that they need to be, like one of the things that I always say is like, don't let your kids work in their bedroom. Great. Yes. (laughs) I don't know if that's one of your best practices. Yes. If like, you know, what are the, what are your best practices that you're, you're like, okay, you've got a kid who's just starting to get homework. Let's make some norms, create some norms around what homework looks like at home. What are those best practices? Perfect. Great. Great. I love that you said not in the bedroom. I always say there should be a dedicated homework space. I don't love the bedroom, although some kids do have a dedicated homework space that are it's in their bedroom because it's like they have like their like their desk area and they're very they have a lot of pride around that space and they've taken, you know, the time to set it up in a way that they feel very excited about. So even if they're starting out in like elementary school to have like their desk area and it has like a whiteboard, I'm a huge fan of something called Time Timer. It's a visual timer and it can teach kids early on what, you know, a lot of kids don't even know what five or 10 minutes in their own body feels like. So if you can teach them early on, I love a whiteboard, you know, early on to have next to their, you know, setup space, Um, have the right tools at their workstation, right? Give them access to the right pencils, you know, paper, pens. Like I always like creating like a little caddy with everything if they're elementary age, but you know, as they get older, they like to pick out their certain things either on Amazon or go, go to the actual store and get it. So create like a little area that they have all access to their stuff because a lot of kids avoid doing the work that they need to do because they don't have the thing to do it. Mm-hmm. So I always call it like a homework station. And it doesn't have to be, you know, extravagant. It can, it just needs to be that, you know, make sure they have the calculator that they're supposed to have, or, you know, if they need, if they're the kid who loses their books, make sure they have a digital access to it, whatever that may be. The next thing is having like a, you know, talk about homework and have that healthy relationship with homework, right? So if homework is taking a lot of time, I think having a cutoff to be okay, that maybe they don't have to go to homework or go to school with their homework done maybe and teach them, Hey, how do, how do I write that email to my teacher that I couldn't get my homework done? Not to have a consequence necessarily, but to be able to advocate for themselves. I couldn't do my homework, whatever. I was at volleyball practice till 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, you shouldn't be expected to have to then go home and do six hours of homework. So, you know, learning that kind of good boundary setting for yourself and self-care for yourself. Love it. Love it. So I told you, that's amazing. (laughs) So those would be my two main, the kind of main, main things about homework. I love that. It's so helpful to hear because I always think parents are kind of like, I think this is the right thing to do, but it's great to hear from somebody like you, who's, you know, your job is helping kids be successful. I have one last thing. Yeah. Oh, one more. 
Ellis. Parents do not need to do their kids' homework. They already have gone through school and done their homework for themselves. <laughs> yeah. Don't do there your you go. homework. That is so Do important. not do your kids' do homework. Do not. Please. Please. Do your children's homework. Don't do your Thank you, children's homework. Thank you, know, you. And don't send the email for them, right? Yes. Like, your kids can do Ooh. it. Don't do that. Yes. Don't do that. Don't make the excuses for them, right? Let no. them. Let them... They need to learn the skills because what I, what I love so much Maya about what we're talking about, you know, one level is getting better at X, you know, learning how to write an essay better, learning how to work through math problems. But what you're really teaching is life skills. How do I take care of myself? How do I find balance? How do I know when enough is enough and I need to go to sleep? How do I communicate that to the interested party? I mean, these are things that these children are going to need at every stage of their education and beyond. Yes. Yes. And any any reasonable human is going to say, oh, hey, Billy wrote me that he had a soccer game or a track meet till, you know, 10 o'clock at night and he's now just getting home. Great. Instead of his mom writing me and telling me like that, they're going to they're going to respond way differently to that than, you know, Billy's mom writing. Right. Right. And one of the things that I think parents don't forget this is that homework is not fun and your mm-hmm. kids are not going to enjoy it. <laughs> I, well, I I really want to put that out there because oh so many parents are like, well, he hates homework. Like, of course yeah. he hates homework. Yes. I wish you could see my face right now. <laughs> but no. you know, it's like it, it's homework actually is just practice dealing with boredom and tedium. It, like it's just a part of life, right? Like it, it's – and helping your kids avoid it is not – it's not – don't do it. They've got to sit through it and be uncomfortable with it and do do the best that they can. And that goes back to getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yes. Love Absolutely. it. Full, it's full sit, circle Sitting moment. in the struggle. Full circle. Sitting sit sit in circle. the struggle. Yeah. Sit in the struggle. Exactly. Oh, my. You're the best. Love you. I love yeah. you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is just, you know, pearl after pearl. <laughs> so fun to be st- with you guys. whole string. <laughs> all of it. I love it. Okay. Well, we'll definitely have you back again. It was great having you. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you with a new episode soon. Next week, actually. That fast.